You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. My name is Chad Picard, and I'm the president of Spoken Sport Bikes in sunny Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I also serve on the NBDA board. Today, I'm going to be talking with Ian Christie of Summit Bicycles, which is located in the much sunnier Bay Area of California. Good afternoon, Ian. How are you? I'm good, Chad. How are you? Not as warm as you are, but uh, yeah. doing well. The sun is out, actually, which is a huge, I guess, blessing for us. It makes a big difference when it's cold out. So, yeah, yeah. sunny and yeah, getting warm. I could imagine. Yeah. Good. Good for you. And, yeah. The temperature here is 30, and people are starting to think about bikes. A couple days ago, it was 20 below. That was the actual air temperature. And believe it or not, we still we see people bike to work in 20 below temps, which is amazing. That's crazy. Um, Californians are such fair weather riders. Once it dips below 60, we're like, no. And, yeah. Which, <laughs> I, I lived in, in uh, Texas for a while, and it, it was the same temp was the cutoff. And I found myself getting out more in those temperatures because the single track was wide open. There was nobody there. Yeah. And uh, nobody could see me just crushing the single track. So yeah. <laughs> I turned into kind of an urban legend. But yeah, so I'm excited to talk with you today. We don't have a real specific agenda, but I know just this last year, you're a top 25 dealer with Trek. So congratulations on that. And you run five stores in the Bay Area. Is there 5 million people in the Bay Area or is it more than that? Seven. Seven. Seven million. I mean, it, it really depends on like which communities you count or don't count, but like the traditional Bay Area communities, it, okay. it comes to about 7 million. That is a lot of so, people. That's a lot. Yeah, of... and it's not that, yeah, like 45 miles each way pretty much can get you the whole Bay Area. So it's like not very big. Okay. Um, so there's some, is there some geographical boundaries other than the ocean? Yeah. Yeah. So the peninsula is definitely landlocked and then the East Bay you know, there's a good set of mountains. And then once you get past really like the first cities along the coast of the east part of the bay, it's re that's really like the valley, you know, okay. almost headed towards Sacramento, that sort of area. And that we don't really traditionally count as the Bay Area. But like Oakland and Hayward, San Leandro, maybe even Walnut Creek, those areas, those are traditionally kind of referred to as the Bay Area. Okay. And then, of course, the North Bay, all the way up to San Rafael, Berkeley. And then I really cover like mid peninsula down to the south bay um, okay and the south bay is really like the traditional silicon valley you know san jose santa clara sunnyvale that area okay well cool so obviously there's last week was at a dealer event there are hundreds and thousands of retailers in the u.s with you know, bike stores that you see their names and print here and there, but you never get to know them. Could you just introduce yourself, like where you came from and how you got into the bike business and maybe just yeah. a little bit about yeah. Summit Bicycles? Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Ian, Summit Bicycles. I acquired that company nine years ago now, and it was actually technically my first job. I grew up in Santa Cruz and my dad worked over the hill in San Jose and my best friend's dad owned a couple of bike shops, one of which was in Los Gatos. And he let me work for bike parts and cash turn to the table for cleaning bathrooms and whatnot. So my dad would drop me off on his way to work to work at the bike shop and then pick me up on his way back. And I just went from like, you know, shop grom cleaning things to, you know, building basic bikes to helping out on the floor to becoming a salesperson to a manager. And then I became the general manager of the two stores at the time. 
And then I was at the point where I had to, I had to choose whether to try to purchase the businesses from the previous owner or continue on with college. And I chose the bike shop route. My wife continued on to college. She went to Berkeley, got a degree, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, I bought the two stores at the time. We acquired, the ownership transition took about four years and we acquired our San Jose location right in the middle of it. So when the transition was over, we had three stores and then we opened Santa Clara in 2014 and then Palo Alto in 2017. And then we also moved the location and remodeled the location all within like a span of four years. So so a little bit of work there. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. I always liked doing that build out stuff. You know, I think my senior year of high school, I had six periods of wood shop. So, um, yeah. Is that, is that I, uh, allowed? <laughs> yeah, I was like a TA for this person. And then in this, like, I, yeah, I totally finagled it. And uh, still wonder how I pulled that off. Yeah, so I always liked, you know, building the stores and designing them and, you know, doing the work myself and that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's Summit Bicycles. Big truck dealer. We've actually been top 25 for like eight years now. Chad, thanks awesome. for yeah, getting awesome. that wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much us. Okay. And so five stores, just to give listeners an idea of the volume or the actually the staffing size. What's your staff? Is it 40, 50 people that you have? Yeah, it, it ranges. It's right around 45 to 60 full-time equivalent. I'd say is like the range. Right now we're starting to bump up. So like the actual individuals were probably into like the 65s to 80s, but we always just look at the FTE number. So Okay, sure, full-time. Yep. Yeah. So FTE yeah. full-time equivalent for those listening. Correct. A lot of employees. That's So with, you know, California's had some changes with pay and things like that. Is that I've talked to some people that look at it two different ways. They just say that's a natural increase in wages over time because I think it's by, is it 2023? Minimum wage is $15 an hour. Yeah, all of our stores are, are already at. Okay. Like So I believe that's like the state mandate, but then each county has their own separate okay. kind of plan. And so like we have stores that have different minimum wages than some of our other stores. Okay. But we just apply the highest one to all of them. But yeah, that's been a huge variable that we've had to kind of encounter and realize the last two years, especially given like, I mean, the unemployment rate in California is pretty much zero, right? I mean, if you could right. open a box with a box opener, you got a job, you know? <laughs> so pay is one factor, which, you know, it's definitely a profit and loss issue, but getting people is difficult. Just the volume of applicants is rare. So our, our last big hire for like, you know, a, a management position actually came from Florida. <laughs> so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Are you finding yeah. getting those applicants through, you're probably putting an ad in the local paper, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, yeah. Print's big. So, <laughs> yeah. no, no. So we do like Craigslist. We do everything. Like we do yeah, Craigslist. Okay. We do Facebook. We do our own market, like through our own channels. We do Indeed, ZipRecruiter, LinkedIn, like we've done it all. And we've always gotten kind of varying degrees of success from different avenues. 
specific to the position, which is interesting. I mean, it's not rocket science, but like finding production mechanic on Indeed is proving more difficult, but we've had more success with it on Facebook, you know? Okay. And then vice versa for management positions. So your shop is good, like really good. You have the right bikes with the right gear and the right employees with the right training. But there's that voice in the back of your head telling you, are you really that good? Why not prove it? Sign up for America's Best Bike Shop program with the NBDA. The NBDA's America's Best Bike Shop program is designed to identify and reward bicycle stores in North America against the highest performance standards in the industry. Find out more at NBDA.com. When hiring higher level, you know, leadership positions, are you still using those same methods or are you headhunting, going out into other industries and looking for people there to bring them into your organization? So to answer your question simply, mainly like through Indeed or ZipRecruiter. However, 99% of our management positions are filled by people who have worked with us for a good amount of time. Like, all my managers I've ever hired, it's probably three, and I have a more recent one that would make it four that I've that's been an outside hire. It hasn't come from within. We've had much more success with the ones that come from within, and they they stick around longer. I mean, we're pretty lucky we don't have that kind of turnover on our management positions. So we just did a man university. And like everyone went around the room and it was just the managers. And I think the average length of years with us from a manager was like seven or eight years. Oh, wow. Congratulations. So, um, You're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Lucky. <laughs> yeah, lucky for sure. <laughs> I mean, if you're doing man group training, their leadership training is excellent. You know, yeah, so if you're using some of those tools, hopefully that's a result of those tools and your wisdom to implement those. Yeah. They're the right people, too. I think we give them a lot of freedom to be successful and, you know, help assist their strengths and complement their Good. weaknesses. So. so shift gears a little bit. So you've total five stores now and you've started with two and expanded and moved some. What's your metric you use for to answer the question, you know, do we need to open another store? Are you moving into places where there are existing stores? Is it you've grown, your staff has grown so much that you have excess staff and you need somewhere to put them or excess inventory. What's kind of your flow chart for that? Yeah. The real motivations through expanding was just internal motivations to grow. And then the way we assessed kind of the Bay area markets is really just by feel. I mean, there's only so much data that you can, I mean, there's like population data and tech companies in the area and so on and so forth. But if we made decisions just based off of that, I think we wouldn't be as successful as we have been. So we have kind of our model of a store or historically our model of a store, which is, you know, three to 5,000 square feet and a certain amount of revenue that we think that that area can produce. And then, you know, from there, it's just going off of, you know, the space and the lease and the negotiations and whether or not that is going to work out into, you know, the financial model of the store. But that's a whole other variable in California. Sure. Is, uh, you have no idea what that landlord thinks that what their space is worth, right? And if they're going to come down to reality at any point. So, but I think after doing 
I mean, all of our stores really kind of fit that model. I'm really interested in the idea of like a 2,000 square foot store, much smaller staff, ways, you know, maybe even smaller than 2,000 square feet, and just lower overhead all the way around and being okay with the lower, you know, top line revenue. So there's real profitable models there that are interesting, especially when we have everything else done in the background in terms of marketing, bike building, you know, HR, blah, 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 like all that stuff can run in the background. Sure. And we just kind of fold in another, you know, five employees or so. You're serving a, more of a micro community, maybe a, a residential that's got, you know, six high rises and the people immediately surrounding it. Is that kind of the plan? Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, just a simpler operation, right? Like yeah. the stores we have are pretty intricate, right? And yes. they, they sell really, really expensive high-end bikes, which, you know, we need certain people to sell, right? Whereas if it's a more kind of hybrid community store, it's a much, I think those pieces are way more interchangeable in terms of staff, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a lot easier just to kind of bring them through our training and get them up to date on, you know, up to the $3,000 bikes and they're going to be off and running in that community. But, you know, we haven't done anything like that yet. That's like almost the exact opposite of (laughs) what our model is, which is whenever I think of that, I'm like, okay, just mind your business, you know, (laughs) like do what you know and, you know, don't make it complicated. So yeah, maybe it's the next one. We'll see. Okay. Well, I hope to hear about it when it does happen. I hope it works out well. I like that idea of the smaller neighborhood bike store. It's got to be a fairly, probably fairly dense area to make it work. So as you've expanded, what's become easier for you? Was there a, well, you kind of started with two stores. Was it a race to open a third because two is crazy? Or was it just like you said, it was just kind of a natural, you know, you want it to grow. Has anything become easier as you've grown? Yeah, definitely. And I'm not sure if it's easier because we grew or if it's just easier because we just got better at the things we sucked at. (laughs) It's changed. I would definitely say like things are different. Like my role in the company is dramatically different, you know, compared to when we had two or three stores to, you know, when we went to our fourth or fifth. So when we went to three, we weren't planning to go to three, a store kind of, came to us we took that opportunity so that that was an acquisition which okay was a great acquisition the interesting thing is like when you have two stores you can kind of be the guy in each one right like you could be the main sales producer you know and work six days a week and have you know and go between at least ours are pretty close geographically so i could bounce between them you know within 15 minutes if there are issues or if i knew a, a high-end customers coming in or whatever but like Sure. When you go to three, you're almost forced to have like to add a layer of management between you and, you know, the support staff per se. Right. So like three stores, we really kind of looked at like a sales manager, a service manager, and then they reported to me. And then I did, you know, whatever else I did, right. Buying or marketing or what have you. And then when we added the fourth, that one, I mean, aside from building it out physically, like myself, it really kind of assimilated into the rest of them pretty easily. And that's what it was kind of like, okay, like 
this is different now, you know, like it's literally just kind of adding on Legos to the end of your creation <laughs> sort of thing. So, and then we did the same for Palo Alto for number five and that we took that, like, I think 70% of that staff came from another store or other stores, I should say, like we piecemealed it. So, okay. Were there any, I mean, so as you're growing any unintended consequences that were like, oh, we didn't think about this, but this is even better. Or is it just the ability to, we're getting good at this, we're repeating it, everything's falling into place easier because we've been here before? Yeah, I could tell you the build outs got a lot easier. We went from what was like, you know, a 90 day build out of like lease signed to doors open for business to we. <laughs> I built out Palo Alto in 30 days and it probably should have been like 40 days or something like that. Like, you know, the inventory was pretty sparse on the floor, but like project managing in terms of construction and that sort of thing, like we were so on it. Like, and we had like our plumber and our electrician and our flooring guy, like right there on top of each other. One would finish on Thursday at noon. The other one would come in Thursday at one o'clock. And it was just like, you know, it was a symphony. Build well, up. now I think you're lying because it never happens that way, right? <laughs> oh, it did. I flooring stuck in a warehouse <laughs> somewhere, plumbers on yeah. another job. <laughs> yeah, that's what we learned. That was the thing, right? Yeah. Like it's a full blown game, and like you just got to be aware of that game and play it right back and get ahead of it, right? So like, and I literally remember purposely like scheduling everything a week earlier, and just like it always did, right? Whether it was because of you know, getting signed off or this permit, or like you said, flooring stuck in the back of the warehouse. It didn't, you know, one last box, it didn't make it on the truck. You know, it all fell into place like music. So yeah, that got easier. But no, I, I would say everything else is pretty, you know, pretty consistent. You know, if there's anything that got easier in terms of the business, it was like offset by the fact that there's just more mouths to listen to. Right. um, I have kids. I get the reference. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably the biggest thing where my roles change is like I used to be able to be friends or, you know, or like the perception of a friend with like everyone. Right. And now it's like I walk into a shop and I'm like, nice to meet you. And they're like, I've worked here for four months. And you're like, okay, great. I'm a jerk. Like, (laughs) awesome. I'm a complete jerk. So. I wish that wasn't there. I liked having closer relationships with my employees. So, sure. So, for the people listening to this, I mean, I'm a firm believer that, you know, in the same way that we've got hundreds and hundreds of banks and coffee shops, I mean, I think we really do need more successful bike stores and not just opening up a store on a whim, but a plan to open a store and to, you know, to make sure all the right things are in place so that the result is success. Well, what are some of the roadblocks? that those looking to expand should look out for? Like, is there one or two huge things that often get overlooked when expanding? Maybe from your own experience or something you learned from somebody else that you know, maybe was a mentor of yours or or you'd talked to about it. Yeah, I, and not just bike shops, a lot of businesses. I'm always kind of curious if they run the numbers or not before they open. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, did you really think you're going to sell a thousand hot dogs a day or something? You know what I mean? Like whatever the business is. I'm like, let's not talk about buying the store I bought and why I bought it. (laughs) (laughs) I can talk hours about that. Yeah. That's a valid question. 
Yeah, and so just run the numbers. I mean, like on the build out, on the first three months, on the first 12 months, what you think it's going to be, right? Do you have enough of a runway to cover it? If you don't, what's your contingency? Like all that stuff, right? Because right. it takes time to turn a new store profitable, right? Or even break even. You know, we've been fortunate. They've, they've happened quicker than we've budgeted, but that's because we ran the numbers constantly and massaged them constantly. And, you know, we're overly conservative, and, which makes you approach everything the right way. What, you know, the build out and how much you're going to spend and the lease, which you're going to live with for you know, X amount of years. So yeah, that just run the numbers. That's, that's yeah. my biggest recommendation for sure. Are you guys doing that in house or are you using an accountant to help oh, you with yeah. that? No, no, okay. no in house. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So in your build outs, is there one thing that you've forgotten in the first build out that's the ongoing joke for continual build outs? No, not okay. that I know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask my staff. I would say the one thing I probably would do differently on the build outs is not make such nice of bathrooms. I don't know why, but I made like got like marble tile in the bathrooms and that like, and I did it all too. And I'm like, why did I do that? I don't know. They're beautiful. They look great. Yeah. We're big believers in clean bathrooms for customers, but you don't need to spend, you know, do you have a money on marble tile? Do you have like an espresso machine in your bathrooms too? No, 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 no. Didn't go that far. That's fair. It's all, I tell you what, I love a nice bathroom and some friends of mine even I mean, we joke about it, but there's something nice to a nice bathroom. I mean, and I think it's important. So I'm going to say yeah, good for you for putting for a little sure. extra into your bathrooms and hopefully your customers appreciate it and your staff. Yeah, no, we've gotten <laughs> positive Yelp reviews about them, which is awesome. So, I mean, there's much worse things you could do on a build out than, you know, put a little extra time into the bathroom. So, yeah. Well, good. So obviously, you know, you've, you've probably read the news about our industry. It's the national numbers are we're selling, you know, about the same number of bikes or less or a little bit more. Depends on who you ask. Retail dollars are going up. What does our industry de- need to do? We, we've kind of stagnated a bit. There's been in some regions, there's a lot of bike stores closing. The national numbers show that there's quite a few opening, but currently more closing than opening, but not by a huge percentage. What do you see? that we can do as an industry to change those numbers to create more growth, more cyclists, more people coming into our bike stores? It is a question of the decade, right? Or last decade, at least. I don't know, to be honest. Like, I always wonder, like, how many of those bike shops that close are shitty bike shops? Because, I mean, let's be honest, like, you know, a bad bike shop closing is good for everyone. And a good bike shop can do wonders for other bike shops. Um, I remember when my largest competitor moved right into town, right next to me, it was like, okay, are we going to die or are we going to improve? And like that, that store hasn't gone down any year since they moved in. They've only gone up. So it's interesting because bike shops really represent the bike industry to the end consumer. It's all, it's the most important part of the whole chain right and i think it's going to be a myriad of running our businesses better right being tougher on our vendors and being kinder to our customers right 
and which I think overall we've gotten a lot better at, like in terms of bicycle shops actually providing some sense of customer service compared to 20 years ago, I feel like is night and day, you know what I mean? And it's good to see the standards that we're judged by, by our customers now. Yeah. Um, Cause a lot of times we meet them, you know, and that was not the case, right? Like the bike shops were super intimidating, non-welcoming mm-hmm. stores where people were met with attitudes. That's why the previous owner started Summit, right? He wanted to get into road riding and there was a jerk at a bike shop and he's like, <laughs> that's lame, right? And he started a bike shop. So yeah, it's a mix. E-bikes are going to help. That E-bikes are interesting because it's obviously only going to raise the average bike price of the industry, but it could also help us sell more bikes, period, right? Which isn't the trend that we would expect. Right. It's e-bikes are getting more people, you know, into our bike shops that we typically don't see, which is great. Right. So five years will be interesting because e-bikes are going to are going to do all sorts of crazy things to our numbers. How has the e-bike sales affected your stores over the last year, two years? Are you seeing growth in your area? Oh, yeah, definitely. It was a few years back. I don't know. I forget how long ago, but. Like e-bikes were always kind of like there and we like kind of did them and, you know, we didn't really have like a solid stocking plan for e-bikes. And then there was one year where they sold as much as kids bikes. It was obviously, you know, like one tenth of the units, but yeah, yeah, right. That was like the year where it kind of clicked for all of us. Like, okay, this is, this is finally a category and let's treat it as such. And, you know, you hear the numbers. It's crazy. Some shops are seeing, you know, like 300% growth in e-bikes yeah. and they're already doing e-bikes a decent amount. So it's exciting to see. It's funny. We do this floor merchandising thing every or twice a year. And this year when we did it, we were like, do we put all the e-bikes together still? Or do we put each specific type of e-bike with its respective category? You know, like, e-road with road bikes and e-mountain bikes with mountain and so on you know it was like there's so many now and they're in every category and it's so saturated and when you start to talk about it with the customer like do you treat it as just e-bikes or do you treat it as an option within the mountain bike line or the road line give your customers a reason to come back to your store sell them the nbda's ride it daily extended service plan the only service plan that pays you your shop rate for extended service and warranty claims. Find out more about rides at nbda.com. Are you seeing the customer that's buying an e-bike? Is it a different customer? Is it someone that is, you know, they were an avid cyclist and now they're just, that's the, the progression of their cycling? Or are you seeing a new customer coming to your store that has maybe different shopping habits that is unfamiliar with the way the bike industry sort of works and they're just a different customer. Are you seeing any of that? No, both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we sold, you know, performance mountain bikes or e-mountain bikes and e-road bikes to like our road club, you know, avid cyclists that are super in shape and on Strava with KOMs and all that stuff. And then we see it with, you know, a couple over 60 who just bought an RV and want to go across the country, you know? So, yeah, it's everyone. So with that, 
you know, the couple that has the RV, you know, maybe new to cycling. Are there any specifics that's any differences in the way they shop as opposed to the cyclists? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. They don't care what the reader railer, you know, they're like, what reader railer? <laughs> you know, they're like, you know, how's the saddle? Am I comfortable? Is this going to get flat? Wow, this is heavy. You know, those are the things, right? Which, you know, we're somewhat used to, like we sell, you know, casual, as you know, some people would say, as I'm putting air quotes up, you can't see normal bikes, right? Mm -hmm. And those are typically the things that the same set of questions or concerns, right? How's this look sort of thing? Sure. Any other categories that you're seeing any growth in? Is gravel something that's growing? Gravel, electric gravel, is that a thing yet out in California? We haven't seen any electric gravel. Gravel certainly growing, but I kind of just categorize that as, you know, roadies that want to take mountain biking. So, like, for me, that's just the road market diversifying within a 700C wheel, more or less, right? Sure. Because like, sure. the road market is, has declined so much compared to where it was, like, five years ago now. This definitely helped. Sure. There was a year in the middle there where we actually saw a pretty good increase it was almost all attributed to disc. So, but when you add in gravel, it's, for at least, us at least, it's pretty flat, maybe a little up last year. But yeah, gravel's fun. Gravel has, if anything, it's kind of brought out these events and rides that are way more kind of social and fun and less racy. Sure. Which I think is overall good, at least in our area. Like, yeah. there's an event where it's like, there's bands and they camp and the family goes out and there's a thing for kids. And then there's like, and it's a real ride and there's a big gravel ride, you know, at the end of it or something like that. So that's really cool. I see a lot yeah. of those are nice. Yeah. A little bit slower speeds, a little more inclusive. Yeah. I hope events like the social events, I hope continue to grow in all markets. Yeah. We need like the glitter run equivalent for yeah. the cycling industry. <laughs> that, would, that would be awesome. I, let's stay away from the glitter. Maybe something a little less. <laughs> so with a density of over 7 million, do you have a lot of events in your area? Is it, do you find customers trying to decide, oh, do I go do this gravel ride or this charity ride? Or is it, or there are not that many events? When the season starts, there's an event every weekend, if not two or three. Okay. Like cycling events. So it's not even counting like running or, you know, you know, music in the park, you know, any of that other stuff that pulls people. There's always stuff, but, you know, it's good. Overall, it's good. And there's, you know, there's enough people to satisfy it. Yeah. So next five years, what's something that you're really curious about in our industry? You know, maybe it's a product, maybe it's a, you know, a different, maybe it's online sales, maybe it's creating an Instagram account so you can actually sell through Instagram. What are some of the things that you're curious about in the next five years? The, the online business is interesting. I find there are particular roadblocks given that we are approaching it from a brick and mortar store. Like part of what makes us, you know, brick and mortar with a good value proposition to our customers is the fact that we have brands that don't, that largely don't sell online, right? But that also makes it impossible for me to sell online, right? Yeah. So, it's kind of catch-22. So that's interesting. I don't know if we'll ever be able to crack that nut. The training is a big one that I tend to come back to. It seems like every two years 
we're just trying to improve our training and kind of the saturation of the knowledge that we learn from our consultants and the rest of the industry and then getting it to our managers and then allowing or teaching our managers how to get it from them to their staff effectively. We did our own like online training module, I think two or three years ago now on Miyagi. And I I did a horrible job. It was like me with an iPhone, you know, (laughs) this horrible beard in the bathroom sort of thing. So like it's time, like I need to upgrade that and then upgrade the content. That's really good. Doing like product reviews and YouTube stuff is pretty interesting. We just kind of tinkered with that. We threw a dart against the wall and that actually turned out to be pretty successful by view count. Like it actually hasn't amounted to any money. <laughs> like, you know, we haven't. You haven't seen like an uptick in sales on a tire that you reviewed or. No, I mean, okay. not enough okay. to validate, you know, five grand in camera stuff. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but hey, it's fun. So, and it's, and it's yeah. good for our brand. Like I think it effectively communicates what we're about, what we're trying to do. And it's, it's also good for the staff to do. They like it. So yeah, probably um, creates a, a little bit of a, or gives your staff a little bit of authority over some of those products. If your customer sees, oh, Ian's talking about this tire. He obviously knows about tires. I'm going to go there and buy my tires. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we were like, we did one for a bike, some Santa Cruz bike. It was like our first real try at it. And we were like, what's, you know, random goal. What's a high amount of views? And it was like a thousand. We had no idea. We're up to like 30,000 views or something like that. Right. We have, I don't like, yeah. We're just jokes. We like, <laughs> no, we don't think anyone wants to listen to us. <laughs> like, but uh, apparently we're entertaining enough to watch 30,000 times. So we should have put this yeah. on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Don't. <laughs> so training yeah. is one of the topics that interests you. Do you have a metric for how much your staff needs to be trained in a week? Let's say full-time equivalent trained per week or per month or year. We don't have those metrics yet. We are those goals in place, rather. We do have, like we use Trek University and they all have to be guides and that sort of thing. We check in on that monthly. They all have to be 100% on our Miyagi. We check in on that monthly. So it's more staying current than it is. We just, the, we just did the main new thing, which I mentioned before, and we kind of got into this idea of doing 10-minute training things on specific sales tactics every day, right? Just so we're kind of honing our skills on the sales process, you know, constantly. And 10-minute bites are pretty easy to pull off. So, you know, even in the season between the manager and the sales guy. So that's going to be kind of the new standard operating procedure we put in place for practicing or training, whatever, whatever you want to use. Okay. Uh, similar to like a stand-up meeting in the morning, just get everybody on yeah. the same page and hopefully yeah. cover the same topic enough that you hit the people that aren't there every day. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you've been in the industry, how many years now? 15, 16? Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of years. How do you recharge? I mean, do you ever just like, oh my gosh, I got to go into a bike store again and I got to tell someone why they got a pinch flat. What keeps you recharged? What you, I mean, your role obviously has changed a little bit from you were cleaning bathrooms at one time to yeah. now you've got five stores. And so just the change of job 
or position and responsibilities probably keeps you going a little bit, but what do you do to recharge? Is it books on tape? Is it speakers, mentors? Is it a, a spa day or quarantine yourself yeah. depending you're sick? Yeah, my routine helps me kind of stick with a rhythm that is pretty sustainable. I mean, I have plenty of, I'll call them vacations, but as you know, vacations with kids aren't vacations or trips, <laughs> right? <laughs> and trade shows aren't vacations either. I just I think I need to add that no, in there as well. <laughs> no, no, they're not. Yeah, I, I get away enough in my own personal life to where it's fine, but my routine is pretty crucial to, you know, not going crazy <laughs> every day. But honestly, like I have a great staff. Like there's not many times where I like dread opening my inbox or dread going into a store. I'm pretty fortunate that way. I mean, there's stuff that always comes up, obviously, but yeah, I'm pretty lucky. My routine, I work out a lot. So I wake up at five, work out for 90 minutes, come home. And everyone's typically asleep when I get home, which is awesome. And then I journal and then I get the girls ready for school, drop them off and then head to work. And then at night I go back to the gym with the kids to give mom a break. Hmm. And then we finish up the night. Yeah. That's a pretty stable routine. You get some ride time in there as well? Yeah. Yeah. It's sporadic. Like it'll be just be randomly a buddy will have, Oh, I have a Friday off. Let's go, okay. you know, sort of thing. Or like if I have to meet with a vendor, it's on a bike, you know, sort of thing. So yeah, it's a lot harder to pull out, you know, a three hour permission slip at this stage <laughs> in my kids, kids lives, but Take I get them every now and then. Throw them in the, yeah, in, yeah, right. on the cargo bike. <laughs> yeah. Take them yeah, out. There you go. Yeah. If time and money weren't an issue, what would you do to get more people on bikes in the Bay Area besides giving them bikes? Or maybe that's the answer. No, so there's this energy board, something, I forget the name of the company, but there's some energy organization that's, I just talked to last week, that's trying to put together a rebate program for e-bikes. Okay. And I think Colorado did something like this a couple of years ago, and it sold a lot of e-bikes. So that I would petition heavily whoever's in charge to do that. And that would help a bunch. The caveat is, you know, do we and our vendors have enough inventory? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if that, you know, tips that way that heavily. So, which is a it, valid question with. Yeah, you know the process of having tariffs and having to pay those tariffs before bringing inventory in means that a lot of our vendors are bringing in less inventory at a time, and then yeah. also you have the coronavirus preventing or some facilities just stopping production. Correct. Your season is different than mine because I'm in the cold north and you're on the coast. Have you seen that as a challenge yet in the last ninety days, six months? Not yet, but we're aware of it. I mean, we. Like we definitely, we've been through these before in terms of when our vendors have, you know, under forecasted inventory. And so there's kind of a game or, you know, operating procedure that we have to go through, which is fine. It just takes more management in work to kind of stay on top of. But it has the potential to be that this year, which honestly is good, right? Like, you know, dramatic swings taken out of it. Like we would prefer to sell everything at full pop and you know tell people no sorry like we can't give you a hundred dollars off a forty five hundred dollar bike like 
I have two people behind you that want it, you know, sort of thing. So I remember when the Madone changed over from the 5200 and like we actually marked up bikes. Like that was the shortage that we were going through back. Like we marked up the 5.2 Madone $250, which seems like crazy that we would do that. But like that was the demand back then, right? So yeah, it will be interesting how that plays out over the next six months. I feel we've, our industry's always had a lot of inventory, maybe not necessarily the right inventory, but if vendor A doesn't have it, vendor B probably does, or an acceptable replacement. Anything that you want me to ask you that I haven't asked you? No. (laughs) No, I'm good. I think, I mean, I've got a ton more questions, but we're just under an hour, and I want to thank you for your time. And yeah. uh, I wish you, you the success in whether you grow or not grow more stores or add that smaller 2,500 square foot store. I think that would be, I like that direction of some of the shops in our industry that are doing that. Some have already yeah. had some success. So I wish you the best with that. Yeah. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate it. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com.